So this is an exciting morning. We do communion and community Sunday, potluck lunches, first Sunday of every month. But this month, we're trying something a little different. We, our missions committee has um, thought, wouldn't it be cool if four times a year we highlighted a person or an organization in the community who's doing amazing work that we really appreciate as a church, and we turn that um, potluck lunch into a fundraising lunch. We invite people to, not just on this Sunday, but maybe for the whole month ahead, to consider how they can support uh, that work, that person, that ministry. And this morning, we have Nick Sparrow from Kirpa here. I'm going to invite him up in a few minutes, but we're really, really excited to have him. He's going to share some of his, the impact that Kirpa's had and kind of the future vision for it. It's an amazing ministry. But before I invite him up, I want to just lean into two verses that for me have been really helpful as kind of anchor points to moving into Lent. Because a lot of people will hear this stuff about Lent. Maybe you even hear at the start, you're like, yeah, I want to move forward with intentionality. I want to move forward with purpose. But there still is that question of how do I do that though? Like starting this afternoon, tomorrow, in my family, like how do we do that? And so I wanted to share some reflections that I have found helpful and that I have uh, sort of stolen from other pastors or um, people who have done this Lenten journey longer than I have. The two texts for me this year that have been really helpful to think through, and I'm kind of making them texts that I'm pondering throughout Lent, is Philippians 3, where Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. And I love that. Don't miss it. He's saying, I want to know Christ. And I, I don't just want to know, like, the, the victorious Jesus, everything's going amazing in my life. I don't just want to know God in those times. I want to know, I want to get to know God and to know Jesus and to experience him, experience him in the times of hardship and suffering. That no matter what life throws at me, no matter what I'm moving through, I want to be moving into a deeper connection and knowledge of Jesus. Not just a head knowledge where we have the right answers, but a holistic knowledge. God's promise to his people in Jeremiah 29, he says, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. When we transition from a half-hearted effort, from kind of being casual in our relationship and pursuit of God, when it becomes the central galvanizing, animating principle of our lives, then God says, you're going to find me. And not just that initial finding of God, you're real, but new findings, new revelation, a deeper understanding and appreciation of who God is. And maybe for some of us, we're like, I don't know what it is like to live with that level of spiritual intensity all the time. Just take the rest of Lent and try and lean into it, just for the remaining days. So how do we move through Lent with intention and purpose? Remembering, again, that the point of Lent isn't just religious deprivation. It's about preparing for glory. It's about preparing so that we encounter the living Christ in a powerful, fresh way as we move into Good Friday and Easter Sunday? How do we do it? Well, let me invite you to think through four questions. You have a space in your, bullet, in your handout notes. I haven't, I've intentionally created open space there because this isn't necessarily writing down right answers Sunday. This is being attentive to what God kind of gently nudges you, nudges forward in terms of uh, your, um, your vision, your awareness. So I'm going to be asking some questions. I'm going to be throwing out some potential um, expressions of what that intention might look like. And your role is to just be much more in a receiving mode 
and to just jot down, maybe it's a word, maybe a person comes to mind, maybe it's something very specific that once um, I say something or once you take a moment to pause and pray, it's very clear God just presses something on your heart and you know what it is and you write it down. And then our role after today is to move into that throughout the rest of Lent. So one question that's really important for us to ask in and through Lent is where is God leading me to advance reconciliation within my relationships? And I use the word advance reconciliation very intentionally because in some situations in our relationships, family, marriages, friendships, it might not be possible over the Lenten season to reconcile. There might be a lot of disruption, a lot of anger, a lot of bitterness. And it might not just be as easy as saying, oh, I'm going to pick up the phone, I'm going to talk with someone, we're going to hash it out, 60 minutes later, bam. But there is something that you can do to advance reconciliation. There's a step you can take, there's a note you can write, maybe there's an apology that you need to articulate. There's a step towards repair that you can be making. And maybe up to this point, it's been, well, I'm totally willing to take that step, but the other person has to take the step first. So you're kind of holding the relationship hostage. This is a good time to let that go and just say, how do I advance reconciliation and repair in my relationships? Maybe there's forgiveness or issues of forgiveness that need to be worked through. Maybe it's not coming to a place this Lent where you can forgive this person But advancing reconciliation is going to look like, how do I begin praying for the strength and the grace to forgive this person? Famous Christian apologist C.S. Lewis said, it took him one time 34 years of praying for someone before as he was praying for him one day, he realized, oh, I've forgiven him. Sometimes the wounds are deep and the healing takes time, but there's a way that we can begin that process of loving our enemy and offering forgiveness. Maybe there's a pattern of dysfunction in relationships that needs to be addressed. Maybe it's something minor that's kind of been bugging you and creating relational tension. Maybe it's something serious that has just been left to fester for way too long. And so you have to summon the courage and the faith to say, I got to talk about this. I want to talk about this with you. Maybe there's a major relationship investment that you need to make. Time, energy, money that is because the relationship's at a very critical juncture, you need to make that investment. And that investment will communicate love and care. And what's important is that for the next week and the next few weeks leading up to Good Friday and Easter, you don't get sucked into just status quo, that you need to interrupt things and let this person know that you care about them deeply. Maybe just take a moment and silence and reflect on that and Write down the name of a person or a relationship or something that just comes to mind that God may be nudging you to follow through with over the next few weeks. Another question that's really important to ask is what are opportunities to serve and care for other people that God is opening up to me during this time? Um, Lent has traditionally been a time where Christians sort of refocus and make sure that while the plight of those who are disenfranchised, the poor, going through particular hardships, maybe an illness, being shut in, 
that those people are, are um, foregrounded in our minds and imaginations and hearts, and we're looking for opportunities to serve them. I think Lent is also a really important time to mimic and imitate what Jesus does, right? I, I love the quote by Timothy Keller. I say it probably at least once or twice a year. Even if our own troubles are great, we should still serve. Jesus washed his disciples' feet on the way to the cross. See, sometimes we think that what would be best for us is just to retreat and gather up all of our energy so that we can serve from a place of optimal spiritual health and wellness. And that's not a wrong aspiration, but it misses the point that we're called to serve and sometimes called to serve, often called to serve, when we don't have full capacity where we aren't firing on all cylinders. And it's in that dependence on God for God's strength and grace that God shows up in our lives and through our service in a way that is surprising and powerful. Because if we're tempted to only serve from an overflow, from a, from a sense of, yeah, I think I'm in a good place, I'm strong, essentially what we're doing, although it might not be our intention, is we're saying, I am the source and power of the influence and the strength, right? And it's very easy in that situation to not be kind of covering everything that we're doing in prayer. Because we've got that. I've got this. I'm doing great. Where do I, and I'm speaking for all of us, where do I need to reject complacency and comfort during this season of Lent? And maybe sacrificially give and serve. Maybe doing it in secret. That's another important element of Lent is people might serve, but is there a mode of service, whether it's one thing a week or every day, it could be something very small, but is there a mode of service or giving to other people that I can enter into for the rest of Lent that honestly no one is going to see except for God? My spouse isn't going to see it. My family's not going to see it. No one in my small group's going to see it. It's just a secret way that I want to reach out to this person or this situation or this organization in a way that God has put on my heart. And serving and giving from that secret place is also a very powerful way to connect with God. Jesus said, when you pray and give and serve in secret, God sees that and God will reward it in a special way that God wouldn't have rewarded it had we been making sure that we're serving, but like, well, selfie serve, boom, here we go, right? Now, personally, for, for me, one of the things that I wanted to uh, put in front of us that we can all be doing for this month, March 1st to the end of March, is by serving and supporting the work of Kerpa. And we can be doing that by educating our, ourselves about what Kerpa is about, which we'll get in a few moments. It could be about giving to Kerpa directly. It could also be just spreading the word about Kerpa. There's still people that I meet in this community, in this church, who have never heard of Kerpa and the amazing work that is being done there. But when I think about an opportunity that we have as a church to focus our attention on care for those who are vulnerable and hurting and who are in literal life and death circumstances, there's not an organization that I would support before Kerpa. So I'm going to invite um, Nick Sparrow, Dr. Nick Sparrow, to come forward. Dr. Nick is my bud, and he is the head and the heart and the everything behind Kerpa. And I've just invited him this morning to take his time to share with us what Kerpa is, for those who don't know, 
what is the impact that you aim to have and are having here in the Kootenays? And then kind of what is the future vision and how can people be a part of it? Thank you very much for being here. Let's welcome Nick. So good morning, everyone. Um, I thought I'd just start by telling you a little bit of a story just about how I ended up getting here. Um, I'm originally from the UK. My, my name's Nick. I'm married to Krista at the back, and we have six kids and a dog. I never wanted a dog, but um, as husbands, we're supposed to be... Uh, we have our own dreams, but we must also fulfill the dreams of our loved ones. So we have a dog. Uh, I'm actually very happy about it as well. Um, when I was growing up, um, my younger sister, uh, Madeline, two, she was two and a half years old. Uh, she got out of her pushchair um, at a Red Cross garden party. Um, and my mum's best friend found her face down in a pond, not breathing. And she was dragged out of the pond uh, by a Red Cross worker and resuscitated and survived. Um, I went for a family trip with my family uh, down to London, and my mum dragged out a homeless guy who had drowned in a um, fountain um, while we were sort of having our family day and resuscitated him at Marble Arch. And then when I was 16 years old, I was a runner, um, and at the Woodbridge 10K, I finished, very proud that I'd got a good time, and a guy next to me just collapsed in cardiac arrest. And so I performed CPR on that guy. So I always look a bit of a punk when I get up and speak because I always get emotional, but I actually don't care because um, I'm human and humans have emotions. And um, sometimes resuscitations work and sometimes they don't, but we're to still keep trying. And I was not a Christian at that time. And this is the first time I've actually been asked to talk about Kerpa, actually in a church, in the middle of a sermon. Um, and during, like, I was not a Christian growing up. Um, and I became a Christian during my medical training um, on a project doing death and dying. Um, it, was, it was a project working with palliative care patients. I was like, what is the point of life if just at the end of it we're going to die? Um, why bother spending years and hours studying when we're going to die. Anyway, cut a long story short, I became a Christian, and it flipped my world upside down. And, you know, lots of time went, went past, but I still had this burning passion to help people in emergency situations. And how many of you seen Born Identity? It's not an overly Christian film. <laughs> but I remember being at an accident um, I was driving home with Krista, and we had two kids at the time, or one kid, I can't, can't remember. Uh, this was in the UK, and a car had crashed into the central reservation. And I was like, we've got to go and help. So I pulled the car over and went over to help. Now, I'd had no pre-hospital experience at this point, but I was working in an emergency department in the UK. And I remember the fire department rolled up, and we call them the white hats. I know we've got firefighters here, first responders. Put your hands in the air and give us a wave. Yeah, big shout out to the fire in the house. <laughs> and, and the guy that was the white hat got out 
and I was just watching this guy. And uh, there's a bit on Born Identity where he sits in, I'm probably quoting this badly, but he sits in the restaurant. He goes, I don't know why, but I can run for a mile and not get tired. And that guy's probably good in a fight. And that guy's got a gun in his bag. Do, do you all remember that bit where he sort of has this revelation of all these skills he has? I was looking at this firefighter in his white hat. I was like, man, this guy just knows stuff that I've got no idea about. And you could see it was, I was like, man, this is unbelievable how he can command this scene on a busy highway with someone stuck in their vehicle. And I went to help and everything worked out well. But it really sparked a passion for me for pre-hospital care. And when we moved to Canada, I started volunteering on the Sunshine Coast, uh, going out to 911 calls. Um, just as a volunteer in my own car with some medical kit in the back. Um, and th this was about 10 years ago. I uh, was on the Sunshine Coast for about three years, responded to about 90 911 calls just as a volunteer. Like it's, it, you don't get paid being a volunteer, interestingly. Um, and then moved to Nelson about seven years ago. And it took me about a year to get responding again because it is a little controversial having a physician respond to 911 calls. It's unprecedented, essentially, in most areas in Canada, whereas the UK has 60 years of experience of physicians responding in the field, um, which is older than actually the BC Ambulance Service. So when I came to Nelson, I was responding um, just in my own vehicle, buying my own kit and own medication. Uh, and then we started sort of saying, hey, well, what if we started a non-profit society? We'd be able to then apply for grants. We'd maybe be able to get an emergency vehicle because I was going to 911 calls in my own vehicle stuck at traffic lights for kids that were seizing or um, cardiac arrests and not being able to progress through traffic because I was in an unmarked civilian car. And so we started Kerpa. Um, and actually, Heather was one of the founding members, board members of Kerpa. Um, and like, I can't do it in isolation, uh, Kerpa. It requires uh, a big team of us. Uh, so we have a board of directors. And about three years ago, we set up Kerpa as a nonprofit society. Um, and at the moment, I am the only physician who responds. And I'm pretty much on call 24-7 when I'm not working in the emergency department. Um, and in the past um, year and a half, we've become a registered charity. And essentially, um, we send a physician, which is myself at this time, uh, in a dedicated 911 vehicle out to the scenes of the most critical life-threatening 911 calls in the Kootenays. Um, it's actually a first in the province. There is no other charity that has a ground-based physician unit in the province. Um, and since we've been responding in Nelson, um, and this includes the Kerpa years, because Kerpa is only really three years old, we've responded to nearly 450 emergency calls. So when you see the orange truck, we've actually got it pulled up out there, um, we are only going to what they call red and purple calls. So they're calls with immediate threat to life. Um, and our statistics are that um, one in 10 of those calls, sadly, a patient will lose their life as a result of the injuries they've sustained or the medical call that we go out to. Um, but we're able to provide 
advanced life support to patients in cardiac arrest. Um, on two occasions, we've given a roadside anesthetic uh, and intubated the patient and transported them directly to the ICU. We also carry ultrasound. We also carry a life pack, which is a, is a big kind of AED um, that can monitor people's heart rate. You can shock them. Um, there's, there's lots of things we can do. Um, and it doesn't always end um, in, in people surviving. As I said, you know, one in 10 calls, uh, someone will sadly die. And that's pretty tough. But you know, um, you know, this is my opinion. God puts different people in different places for different reasons. And sometimes just the words that you say to someone or the things that you do can actually change their history. Did you all hear that? Mm -hmm. So even when the outcome's bad, you can change people's history. You know, the <coughs> Kerpa isn't a Christian charity. There are Christians who work in it. Um, Christians are called to serve people. Um, but the, the Bible talks about the mouth, doesn't it? It says um, a small spark can create a forest fire. A small rudder can turn a very large ship. And what we say to people has the potential for life and death. And sometimes just being with someone when their loved one has died, or even being there and giving them a hug, saying, I'm so sorry, we did everything that we could, um, sometimes that speaks louder than anything else. And, and that's not to say Kerpa, um, you know, everything we, ev everything we do, we don't make a difference because people die. Um, because nine in ten of the calls that we go to, someone doesn't. And we're able to give medication, and we're able to give, um, you know, um, medication to seizing children. But, you know, like you were saying about when we're all puffed up, and we're like, yeah, I've got a truck, and I've got lights on it, and it's orange, and it's kind of cool, and I've got orange pants, and orange is the new black. Um, you know, I was, I was thinking the other day, that's, that's really not what we should be representing because sometimes people here have lost loved ones that we go to. They don't really want to hear that, you know, hoorah, we've got a truck with lights on that can sort of, you know, we've now got actually a little speaker on there. You can go, move out the way. Um, not that I will, but uh, I think that's a song for the teenagers. Move out the way. Hey, you, move out the way. Um, but... Um, yeah, and, and so Kerpa, really we're just, we are a charity. Like if we, if people don't donate or we don't get grants, um, you know, in theory we can't roll, but we will always roll um, because we're meant to be doing this. Um, and I really appreciate Jeff inviting us here to talk a little bit about Kerpa. Uh, and as I said, it's the first time I've spoken about Kerpa um, 
kind of in a church environment and also kind of shared my own story as well because there's a story between but you know for each one of us who sit here um, and we all have a story to tell so thank you for listening to my story um, even if you just follow us on Facebook um, and just kind of um, keep an eye on what we're doing we're not saying a lot on Facebook at the moment we've got a few exciting things coming uh, so we don't kind of say too much all the time on Facebook but um, yeah, it, it, we just appreciate your support. And sometimes people in the community don't understand why a physician is in a truck with sirens going down the road faster than the speed limit, which we are legally allowed to do as an emergency vehicle. Uh, and sometimes we get funny faces or sort of funny mouthing words to us, which I have stopped the truck on my way home and had a polite conversation with those people but they often don't understand that we are going to uh, someone who is dying uh, or in cardiac arrest. Um, and I would hope that if the ambulance was coming to my house with someone in cardiac arrest, they would go 10 or 20K above the speed limit to get there. Um, because every minute that goes past where that patient is collapsed on the floor in a shockable rhythm, without getting a shock back, they're mortality rate drops by 10% without an AD. So it is vital minutes count on some of these calls. And we carry some of the only medication. In fact, we carry the only medication in this region other than one paramedic in trail that can stop you seizing in the event you have a seizure that won't stop. So, and we've gone to a number of children who have been seizing that we've been able to stop uh, and some adults as well. So uh, when you see our truck, give us a thumbs up. It's a fine if you want to cover your ears because we have a loud siren. Um, but thank you for listening to us. Um, and just think of us when we're out. Uh, give us a thumbs up as we go past. So thank you very much. That's so awesome. Thank you for, for sharing, Nick. That is super encouraging. And I would echo all that Nick said in terms of follow them on Facebook. It's amazing. I mean, what a practical way that we can love our neighbors as we would want to be loved. Um, that if we're ever in a situation, whether it's us or someone that we know or someone from this community, to know that Nick is on the road is just an unbelievable blessing. So um, we are encouraging you to give to Kerpa this morning. It's not uh, like... It's not like an entry fee to get into the potluck. The potluck is free. You can just enjoy that after the service. But we will have a basket down there. If you want to tax, I think for donations of $25, you can either make the check out to Nelson Covenant Church and then just in the memo line say Kerpa, and we'll make sure that money gets to Nick. You can also donate online at kerpa.org, K-E-R-P-A.org. Donate button. People can do it that way. And again, if you're kind of like, oh, I'm... Um, prepared for it today, I'm not sure, like, I would just encourage you at some point this month, look for a way to slide over 10, 20, 50 dollars, because every little bit helps, maintenance on the car, all the attendant factors that go into it. Yeah. Um, just so people kind of understand, um, like, I'm not here punting for your money. Um, if you wanted to do donate to the work that we do, that that's wonderful. Um, we, we, when we go to a cardiac arrest, obviously Kerpa pays for the medication. Like I volunteer all my time for free, but we have to pay for the medication. And the average cardiac arrest that we go to where we administer 
sort of six vials of cardiac epi costs Kerper just under $200. And in the past six years, we've responded to about 45 patients in cardiac arrest, whether it's medical arrest, traumatic arrest, or associated with suicides or things like that. So every time that truck rolls down the road, it, it does cost a lot of money to provide that service. And probably if we had a service of um, physicians or paid physicians or paid critical care paramedics, it would cost the province probably like quarter of a million dollars a year to roll that program. And we're able to do that here on a very small budget, uh, relatively small budget and provide that service for free. So thanks to the, you know, from grants and community donations as well. So thank you. I'm just going to pray for Nick. I invite you to join me. Gracious God, thank you for the way that you use the experiences of our life to shape us. You put a call in our hearts and you set a vocation in our wills. And I, I just know that from Nick. Nick is just so focused on providing this kind of care and support out of his love for you, his love for people. We thank you for him, for Krista, for their family, all the sacrifices that are made some of which are seen and probably we could guess um, a number of them, but often a lot that are uh, borne by uh, Nick and Krista themselves, ask you to strengthen their marriage, bless them, that you would funnel the right people and the right resources to Nick, that you would strengthen him and Krista, body, mind, and spirit, the whole Kerpa team. God, that you just continually refresh them and set before them uh, a vision for how you would have them love and serve this community. May they be a light in dark places, may your favor rest very, very heavily upon all the work that they do. We th give you thanks for them, and to you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Nick. Awesome. Everybody. So if you're looking for a way that you can support Kerpa and there's nothing initially jumping out to you, we move into the next question of how we can move into Lent intentionally and that opens up a space for that. Is there something I can give up that will deepen my desire, and desire for in pursuit of God? And this is where fasting normally comes in. Fasting is when we voluntarily give up something, not necessarily something bad, but something good that will just move us into discomfort long enough to pray with a different fervency, to maybe resensitize us to some of the realities. And I have a certain a fasting schedule that I'm doing this month. But one of the things I would encourage you to think through is maybe over March, just fast one lunch or dinner out. Whatever your normal schedule is, you're just gonna schedule, you're just gonna fast one lunch or one dinner out and then just donate what you'd normally spend on that lunch or dinner, just give it to Kerpa. Right? That's a way that you can very intentionally um, and sacrificially enter into that like, wow, like this is a way for me to do without that makes me more sensitive to the needs of other people. And that's something that uh, I, I would encourage you to do. Fasting is something that does help us to nurture a deeper, passionate pursuit of God. Um, when we are always operating, kind of to dovetail what I said a few uh, minutes ago, 
if we're op- always operating from a sense of fullness, it's not that our need for God is less, but our perceived need for God is less often. And so when we intentionally, especially in this cultural context where we can be filled with many good things, many good distractions, many uh, good meals, and we can be full, not just physically, but we have lots of things to do around us, lots of people around us maybe, moving into voluntary states of discomfort, even for a day, can be really helpful to kind of wake us up to, oh, this is how my life isn't normally, but this is normal life for some people. God, how are you calling me to respond? Last question, how can I pursue what is deep and real instead of shallow and superficial? Lent is a good time, if you're thinking through fasting, to give up for the remainder of those weeks just time wasters, um, entertainment that hopefully you're not exposing yourself to entertainment that is, you know, ungodly and terrible, but just you might be exposing yourself to entertainment, which is just kind of a filler for this time of night or for this part of the day or for this part of the weekend. Maybe it's video games, um, but there's some kind of consumptive activity where instead of engaging the mind and engaging your creativity and going deep, you're kind of just allowing the ambient noise of the culture to just sort of filter in and kind of tuning out, vegging out. And I would really encourage you to think about Lent as an opportunity to really maybe go deep in a single space. Maybe that's picking up a really, really excellent classic work of Christian literature. Maybe that's memorizing scriptures or maybe a segment of scripture. Maybe it's going down a path of study where you're just gonna do a study on fasting and the benefits of that for the rest of Lent or uh, the sovereignty of God or whatever it is. But things like Netflix and video games and all the entertainment choices that are around us, our phones, right, they're at our fingertips. You know, those aren't necessarily bad things, but they can be big distractions. And if you allow yourself to be distracted for long enough, what you will find is that your life will become more and more shallow and superficial. Not because you intended it to be and to end up there, But that's just what happens when we don't pursue the deep things of God, when we don't allow ourselves to sit in a space and be challenged by God's word or by excellent Christian uh, writing. Maybe you're going to just cycle through the gospel of accounts, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as they relate to Jesus' betrayal and and crucifixion. Uh, I'm a theology nerd, so I've been enjoying Dr. Dr. Jordan Cooper's walk through the Augsburg Confession. The Augsburg Confession is a famous Lutheran confession. It's a YouTube channel. I put a link to the first one in the Summit newsletter. I know it's super nerdy. He goes really into the Augsburg Confession and talking about who God is, who Jesus is, what original sin is from a Lutheran perspective and draws out the implications. He's a little bit younger than I am, I think, but really wise guy. And that's kind of my thing is I want to go through this understanding of the Christian faith and just get the little nuances there and follow up with the scriptures. But how do we engage the next few weeks with loving God with our minds in such a way that we're just bypassing some of the superficial entertainment stuff and moving into real education and soul formation? Paul's cry in Philippians 3 is one that I'm often challenged by, because I want it to be my cry, and I want it to be our cry as a church, that cry of, I want to know Christ. 
I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. And God promises us that if we seek him with our whole hearts, we will find him in Jeremiah 29. And so Lent isn't about begrudgingly moving into patterns of deprivation. It's about preparing for glory. It's about setting aside a specific time to prepare for that Super Bowl of Sundays, Resurrection Sunday in the Christian life, and the Good Friday um, tragedy turned to ultimate redemptive arc that precedes it. So let's pray together. God, our lives are full. Our lives are busy. I know many people here are very intentional in how they live, and sometimes that intention can begin to cause a lifestyle bloat, busyness bloat. There's just more than we need, more than is helpful. Sometimes the cares and worries of this world choke out your kingdom movement in our lives, and sometimes it's just us being very busy with many good things. God, I pray that if there's one thing that you could just put on each, each person's heart here and that we would share that with another person in our life, just one thing that we could say, that's what I feel like God is really causing me to focus on for the rest of this Lent. May we enter into that wholeheartedly, however uncomfortable it is, however foreign it is, however strange it may feel, however um, intimidated we are by the challenge that we feel your spirit putting before us. Give us grace to take that next step. We love you, God, and may you prepare us for Good Friday and Easter Sunday to come. Amen.